Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group here at the ISMG Fraud Summit LA. I'm talking with Lance James, Head of Cyber Intelligence at Deloitte & Touche, who gave a presentation today about threat intelligence and information sharing. So Lance, there were quite a few things during your presentation that caught my attention, and one of the points that you made was the importance of attribution. And this really represents a shift in thinking. A couple years ago, I can remember talking with banking institutions in the wake of the DDoS attacks that were striking so many of our leading institutions here in the U.S. We talked about attribution, and a lot of banking leaders said that attribution really wasn't quite so important. Why is attribution important today? So if I give an example, so we've been tracking a, a specific DDoS uh, group, a very large, well-known one that's probably considered in the hacktivist actor category. And with that, us being able to track them down, working with the Department of Justice, also uh, options with civil lawsuits and other things like that are going on, we're able to actually infiltrate their botnet, inform the customers when they're targeted or when they're going to be targeted. We're also able to shut down actually some of the actions that they're doing against the victims themselves or alleged, like basically potential victims. Um, so in that aspect, the attribution is actually allowing us to be preemptive in the intelligence that we're providing to clients as well as just industry in general, both the community and its clients. And then also on the other side of it, when you have to build out a threat model that defends your networks, right, and you have to worry about who's doing this, and if you have APT XYZ going out there and this actor's doing this, and if it's, you know, for instance, a Chinese actor or a Russian actor or whatever, you can actually uh, understand what they may be doing next and what their infrastructure is going to look like so you can build a threat model to defend against them proactively, meaning that they can try other stuff and they can try a new maneuver, but if you have attribution on them and an understanding and an eye on them, they can stay out of that network so they won't return. So if they do hit your network and you do understand who they are and you start learning who they are and be able to follow them, you can keep them out of your network. Do you think, Lance, that some of our perspective about attribution has changed in the wake of the J.P. Morgan Chase and Sony breaches? I think in a lot of the different breaches in general uh, that have been occurring in the last year or so, I think uh, attribution has become a, a big play and it has changed how we look at things. There's obviously been debates on some of the accuracy on who's doing what in these breaches, but I think the attainment of getting attribution and understanding that actor is exactly what goes back into the operating model or the security posture model, uh, similar to like a life cycle that you're dealing with that you can plug back in there and say, how do we prevent this from happening again? And how do we make sure that this set of actors are, are known and unexposed? Now, part of the attribution piece is exposure, right? So some people believe exposure is a, is a strong weapon against the, uh, a threat actor, meaning if you expose them, they're in the open. There are other people can see them, and the more people that have understanding of, of this actor can then defend themselves and also kind of call them out and saying, we see you, we know what you're doing, stop doing this. Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to foreign national issues such as nation-state actors, by putting them in their place and saying, look, we know you're doing this and calling that out. One, as you've seen, the result is it's gotten the government very much involved in protecting the industries in our country. And so obviously we've seen these proposals by like Obama and him pushing for a cyber intelligence agency. And I think it's due to the exposure of us saying, glaring hole, this country is attacking us. We want to know why. And we think that there should be an industry and government cooperative initiative to basically start uh, thwarting these attacks. <clears throat> so let me ask you about some of this initiative, especially when it comes from the government perspective. Information sharing has been something that the government and even many industry sectors such as banking and retail have been pushing for. But you talked about in your presentation today how difficult it's going to be to make information sharing a reality. Why is that? 
Um, there's a lot to learn on both sides. For instance, the government side of things, they've had their process and their models and their systems for years, and they know how to talk to each other. And in some ways, you can also say that there's probably been failures in them talking to each other at the same time. I can't necessarily confirm that, but there's obviously been corner cases where people feel that that may be that there's a bureaucracy or there's, you know, information get, didn't get to the right place. You know, obviously there's mistakes just in that process, whether it's government or commercial. Now, on the commercial side, the, the agendas of commerce are different than the government. The government's design is to, to defend our nation. That is its pure agenda, right? When you look at Department of Defense and the doctrines they do, if you look at the uh, joint publications at the DOD site, which are quite open, you see that there's a focus on national protection, right, defense, right? We don't ask commerce to go out and build battleships and then go out into the water and start defending ourselves, right? We don't, we don't say that that's their duty. So there's going to be this interesting cross of, before we've always had expectation of information sharing, both commerce and government, but there's been no national security agenda. Like, what are we supposed to do? What are the rules of engagement? How do we do this? There's also complications, you know, and hopefully actually going back to that, the cyber threat intelligence Intelligence uh, Integration Center may be the, the way to get that national security agenda to finally put it on the paper and say, this is what we need to do. But also going forward, there's also very big complications in sensitivity areas, right? So instance, file handling, non-disclosure agreements that we have with clients. We have complications such as you have a victim, right? And maybe the FBI wants to go in, but then you hire a company to do your IR. Now they're going in and touching all of the stuff. Now what happens there is you're proxying this information back to the FBI. Well, what happens to that? Because now from the FBI, perspective or the government's perspective, the evidence may be tampered with because it was tampered with by an industry versus an actual like process that maybe was built by you know law enforcement. So these things are going to be very interesting in the future to see is how are these two competing agendas, you know, or different agendas at least, going to get to work together. You know, my theories on this would obviously to spread out and have regional vetting processes for, you know, allowing this data in so that it's not just a f- overflow into the center, but actually like, hey, this is, you're going to work with your local, you know, center here. Maybe they build out like a local center that says this is how we're going to build this framework to share into the government and then also another thing is what is the government going to share back out right and is it going to be enough information and are we going to be able to track that information or make use of it and the question is what is commerce going to do with that information so and who needs to have it yeah it's interesting this reciprocal information sharing I think this ties back to and correct me if I'm wrong Lance some of the open source intelligence that you talked about earlier today so open source intelligence is really just ensuring that the entities themselves the businesses themselves know what's being said about them out there and they kind of understand the threats against them and then they're able to share that information back with the vendors they work with or perhaps even other industries. Right, the literal open source intelligence is anything that is not classified, right? So basically it is on the internet, it is open source, it is publicly available or even in private forums it's still from the public internet, it came out of that. And in this case part of that subsection is knowing like who's talking about the banks, who's trading cards and credit cards and and committing fraud or is there a activist on Pastebin about to attack a major company or a government entity or DDoS them, right? And by knowing that in advance, this allows you to kind of prep for the campaign that they might have to deal with. Also, it's, you know, certain groups out there will go talk about them, but never really fall on their actions or call on their actions. So you can also start vetting and saying, hey, we know this group's been like in the past, and if we do information sharing, right, someone might contribute and say, well, we've seen that they never actually went on their Pastebin post and they never actually like called them out and actually did it, right? They never actually executed on the actual claim they had. 
that. Whereas someone else might say, oh, you know what, this information is a cyber threat, it's a, maybe it's a bomb threat or it's, it's something that is uh, presenting a physical threat to an institution of some sort, and we decide to take it seriously, right? You know, so these discussions are going to be very important, and having that OSINT monitoring or that OSINT intelligence access and sharing that information is going to be crucial to actually defending our critical infrastructures, our physical infrastructures, um, down to, you know, cyber is just a domain, you know, physical threats still exist, that doesn't change, right? So we have to make sure that it's also from, you know, how, how serious is a physical threat that's online. I think as we go further, we're going to see how do we actually vet that information. So I, I think that um, where OSINT's going is obviously uh, people, more people are learning about it. One of the biggest complications is that in information security, what we've learned from information security or fraud prevention, they're all different fields that they're tying into each other. But there's so much to learn on all these different fields, right? So instance, you go in the audience today, and there was only a handful of people building out a threat intelligence, a mature threat intelligence environment, right? Not everybody's got that yet. It's also expensive, and people are still wondering, how do you do that? There's a lot of stuff in the market, and how do we define what I really need, right? And I think that that comes down to also fraud prevention. How do I know what I really need? What's going to really work? Same thing. So it's, it's an interesting time, and, and we hope that this information sharing focus in this thing will kind of also build a, um, like cent- for instance, if the center has an option to maybe make a beacon and set a framework for us to regulate this properly. You know, we, we kind of go back and start looking at our mistakes or how we can do this better and that we actually have some kind of direction. I think the biggest thing is a lot of people need some direction and some solid uh, how-to, you know, solid how-to on how to do all this stuff. So, Do you think in 2015 we'll get a better understanding of the how-to? I think 2015 is the year to actually start discussing the hard problems, right? I think... Um, 2015, the people that do know and have been very experienced in cyber counterintelligence and in cyber intelligence in general will come out of the woodwork. I think you're going to find a lot of people hiring ex-military people that have had a, a long history in intelligence. I see that we see some of the financial institutions already doing that. And a lot of people will think, oh, well, what are they gearing up for war? And actually, the answer is no, quite the opposite. They're gearing up to finally have hire people that understand this process and know how to uh, temper it and not be so commercially responsive versus it's actually more like how you would treat the government. The government doesn't run and respond to every little thing that goes on. They calmly handle it, usually in this discreet manner. There's a lot of prevention of, of attacks, whether it's cyber or terrorist or whatever, that occur that no one knows about. And that is the power of intelligence. And I think finally we're going to see the commerce or the, the, the private industry take this seriously and, and realize it's not something you just sell and use and, and, and hope that your network's okay. It's something that is a process and it is going to be very effective when put in place properly. Lance, I'd like to thank you for your time. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Again, we've just heard from Lance James from Deloitte & Touche. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.